Training for Ultra, Ultra Running Stories from the Middle of the Pack. My book is now available on Audible and iTunes, so feel free to check it out. Really appreciate it. There's never been really much research into histiocytosis when it's in the brain, because theoretically, again, it shouldn't even exist. You know, her daughter had another brain tumor, and that this eight-year-old girl, Celia, is going to be basically forced to pull out of uh, fourth grade. It really upset me, and it was the moment where I decided I had to help the situation. Like, it just... Um, I decided this was something that I couldn't just stand by idly and watch. That I have to do something. But histiocytosis tumors can be found all over the body. And there isn't actually much funding into this research that needs to be done. I'm willing to put myself out there and raise money for this this cause. It's very important to me. That is my why for the Triple Crown. I work for a finance company. They are the second largest 401k provider in the U.S. Uh, The company's name is Empower, and I presented to a few people there that I would take Moab 240, add the additional miles, and I would run a 401k for cancer research. All right, I'm joined by Celia. She is my why as to why I'm running a 401k for cancer research. How are you feeling? Good. Yeah? She's um, she's been through a lot and she's uh, really impressed me with her strength and toughness. And how have, um, how have you been feeling though? Good. Yeah? I stopped taking pills. That's good. So that's good. And has chemo been really hard? Um, kind of. Yeah. What what grade are you in right now? I'm in fourth grade. Fourth grade? And so are you able to go to school still? Um, most of the time. I went last week. That's good. And has it been scary? No. No? Not really. Well, you are quite the inspiration and I'm really excited to be able to meet you in person and hopefully we can uh, together work together and, and raise some money for more research we help help other families out we're gonna point everyone to a single resource that you know you guys can make donations if you feel like you want to you don't have to um, and I'm going to be really ambitious with what I'm trying to raise here. This is not one of those, I don't do anything halfway. So I'm running a 401k to raise money for cancer research. And that was a moment I, I can look back on now. And uh, that was one of my favorite moments, getting a foot massage by Hayden at mile 62. This is um, a fan of yours, and I'm just calling in to express my admiration. 
It's Dean Carnassus, the ultra marathon man. Hello, listeners. This is Chris Mako, and we are live. And you're listening to Training for Ultra podcast. This is Anime Flynn, and I'm here talking to Training for Ultra podcast. Yeah, it's like really, I just need to catch up with Rob. 100 miles is not that far. I, I thought oh. it was a joke, actually. It, it is. I thought it was one of your jokes, yeah. It is a joke. Okay. okay. <laughs> so classic. Oh my god, because literally thing would be like, beep, 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 mother, mother, beep, mother, mother, beep, beep, mother, beep, mother, beep, 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 beep. One, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> Training for Ultra Podcast. I'm Sally McRae, also known as Yellow Runner. Hey, this is Carl Meltzer, the Speed Goat, and I want to welcome everybody to the Training for Ultra Podcast. Great. I finished the Bigfoot 200. Welcome to episode 102. My name is Rob. I also go by Training for Ultra. And this episode is just on my Bigfoot 200 race recap. Sometimes the most popular episode, actually. Um, but I'm really thankful for the show sponsors. Let's knock them out of the way here. Hammer Nutrition, if you haven't tried them out, feel free to use my Referral code 252888 for 15% off. Now, recovery between these races, between these 200s during the Triple Crown is the highest priority. My recovery right now has been unbelievably good. In fact, I had to reach out to my coach, who will have on an upcoming episode. I'm not giving that away yet. Um, And I asked him, I'm like, why why am I already recovered? Like this should take a long time. And so we, we chatted a little bit about possibly my running form running economy has uh, improved enough that, um, that's taking place, but you'll hear the first half of Bigfoot was, um, pretty conservative on my part, but every night I use and for the next few weeks until uh, Tahoe 200, I use um, Hammer Hemp, and it's uh, like a CBD cap. It's like a pill that I can take that um, I feel like it helps kind of reduce inflammation in my body. So I'll take it at night before bed, and it helps me kind of sleep a little bit better. And this is just my personal take on it. And I feel like it helps me just recover a little quicker. So... Uh, that's that is one thing I'm using. I definitely used a ton of hammer products throughout the race, along with a ton of real food too. So don't think I'm just using hammer products throughout, you know, a three and a half three and a half day race. Um, big thank you to Sufferfest Beer. It was great to have that blonde at the uh, finish line. First beer I had had in a few weeks because I wanted to taper into the race, and I think I'm going to do the exact same thing. I've celebrated, and um, I'll probably taper into Tahoe also and and have that special finish line beer uh, to work towards and and truly earn it. So excited. They've been a very generous sponsor, and I enjoy being part of their team and just very thankful for them. Thank you to Ultimate Direction. I use their Mountain 4.0 vest. 
I will be using a Mountain 4.0 at, at Tahoe also. I had pretty good luck with it. I had a strap I had a strap actually break and I had to tie it within one mile of the start, which was not your ideal start. Um, so it was kind of just unlucky uh, how that worked out, but got through the whole race. So that was, that was fortunate, but the fit was good. I don't have any chafing, didn't have any issues on that front. So that was uh, nice. Exoskin, I used a ton of their gear throughout the race. My feet feel great. Honestly, I think recovery after Bigfoot, I've heard from quite a few people, you know, your feet can get trashed and your skin can only heal so fast. So that is one of the biggest challenges of the Triple Crown. I know Dion and I talked about that a lot. Congrats to him, by the way. He just finished Ludman. And yeah, Exoskin now is going to have, they have a new sock to check out. So check out their website. Exotoes. It is um, it is a longer sock that pulls up, and um, you know they have a variety of toe socks, but these are toe socks that have almost like a built-in compression sleeve, all in one. And um, I've had really great luck with Exoskin so far. I'm going to continue to use them, and as I've said before, I would use Exoskin regardless if they were a show sponsor or not at this point i'm pretty sold on their technology so if you need 20 percent off pretty generous discount code feel free to use t the number for you 20 for 20 percent off and then last but not least destination trail candace burt and her team they put on a phenomenal race they always do um, the logistics of how many aid stations and how remote these aid stations are. You know, it's just phenomenal what she puts on and how she's doing this every month is unbelievable. So, yeah, big shout out to Candace and her team, and I totally get it now. You know, looking at Bigfoot, I was like, why do they have a 20-mile race? Like, that's kind of a weird distance. And then I was like, why do they have a 40? They have a 100K. I ran that first 20 miles, and it wasn't the exact course of the 20-mile race, but I get it now. And honestly, if I'm in that area and I only have a day or two, I'm looking at those shorter-distance races at Bigfoot, and I'm just in awe because those first 20 to 40 had some of the most spectacular views. Same with the 100K. 100K was awesome. Um, So I get the shorter distances now totally makes sense and you shouldn't feel any better or worse for a different distance it's just different and I totally get it I honestly if I'm not doing the 200 and I'm on a quick trip out to Washington State and I can jump in for 40 miles like I'm seriously considering that so hats off to Destination Trail and I'll see all you guys out at Tahoe, so appreciate you. Um, so this is the race recap. These are sometimes most popular episodes just because people want to get some insights either on the course or on what you know I was going through. I could very well be writing about this, so it's going to have some detail. It's not going to have all the detail. And, I mean, I'll start off with this kind of 101 like fact uh 
I think, and I haven't gone through the exact numbers, I think I negative split Bigfoot 200. I think my first half, my first 103 miles was roughly, and again, I haven't gone through all of the numbers, but I think it was like 7 to 10 minutes slower. So I ran faster in the second half of the race, which, I mean, most people don't even negative split a marathon. So I think it played out with how the storms hit where I slept how that all played out um but it's kind of it's kind of crazy to be able to say i negative split a 200 mile race i did not expect to be feeling as well as i did throughout pretty much the majority of the race um i had low moments but the majority of the race was really well within my control which is very abnormal i mean this race has so much climbing you can't take your eyes off the trail for more than a split second or you'll roll your ankle. So you have to be hyper-disciplined. There were lows for sure, but those lows were very shallow. The highs I tried to cap off and I tried to stay kind of in the middle ground on um, in a very controlled manner. And I, I couldn't ask for any more. I, I literally, for the first half of the race... Almost, it's hard to explain. I was almost joking around with the first half, the first hundred miles. I mean, there was tons of climbing. I want to say there was maybe 20,000 feet of climbing in the first half, maybe even more. And I just made sure to take time to slow down. And even if I had to walk for a mile or two just to chill out, um, I, I was never in a racing mind frame, really. The entire time I was exploring, excited to see what was around the next bend in the trail. And truly it was a a magnificent course. Like it was just so beautiful seeing um, volcanic sections and then the mist in the woods was something I'll, I'll never forget. It's truly like the first 20 miles of Bigfoot. I get why Candace puts on a 20 mile race. Like that within itself was an experience and I'm fortunate to have had that experience times 10 and do 206 miles. So I was very strategic on sleep and I think that was my big takeaway from this race. I categorized bonking or like hitting the wall as a lack of food. The vast majority of the past four years of training and running races bonking in my head has always been you just didn't eat enough or like you messed up your electrolytes that was bonking to me and what I realized in this race was that sleep causes bonking also so it seems really basic really obvious but I would hit a section where I felt wobbly almost like a drunk guy trying to walk down the trail like you just you hit a point your eyelids just feel heavy and it's almost impossible to take that next step. And it's really easy to solve. You start hallucinating things. The, I mean, the solution is you get out your emergency blanket, lay it down on the trail. You put, you take your pack off, you use it as a pillow, and you take a 15-minute nap. And just within that 15 minutes, your body resets. You get up, you have this renewed energy it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal. It was um, 
it was those little cat naps that got me through a lot of this race. Um, I slept on two occasions, I want to say roughly an hour and a half, but that was from the time to start to end of getting in the sleep tent. And so total, I would guess was two hours between the two chances to sleep. And then between the cat naps and one or two shorter sleep breaks, I probably slept for three hours total. And I felt great. You know, I, I had to make a really tough call. And um, you might see a picture or two or video of me just contemplating uh, what to do. I think I was right around mile 156 or 160. And I was debating, do I push through the night? get to the next aid station that's 18 miles away. So that could be seven hours easily. Or do I hold back, be patient, take 45 minutes, go sleep, try to get 20. When you, you say 40, 10 minutes are getting to sleep, and then, yeah, you just never get a perfect amount. Um, but yeah, at that aid station, I ate a ton of food, and thought about it for probably five minutes, which for me is a really long time during a race at an aid station. And for some reason, I was thinking very long term. This whole race was 650 miles in my head. And so I took kind of the conservative path and took a nap and came back just feeling fresh and really energetic going into the night. And that was a section of trail where I was having a great run at it. Like I was just power hiking a lot of it because it was techie. I didn't want to roll my ankle. It was through, I mean, waist high brush at a minimum. At one point, it actually went up to my shoulders, shoulder length brush that you're just going through middle of the night, pitch black without a light and uh, dark eerie how quiet it was it it freaked me out I didn't know I didn't know what to do I mean I, I thought like if some if something either attacked me out there or if I hurt myself I mean I don't even know if with a GPS track they would have been able to find me because of how deep this brush was so I came up on this road section and I just sat I ate some food and I was like you know what I need to pair up with someone um, pairing up had worked great earlier in the race and I just bit the bullet, waited five minutes. This energetic group of three people were so nice. They let me tag on and, um, Cammy, James and Mike and, and me, we just started running. Um, after we got through that, that high brush, that was actually the worst part, ironically enough. And it, it got much easier from there. The climbing's got steeper, but um, the four of us banded together and, you know, we had some great conversations throughout the night and it was, it was a turning point because I was freaked out. Uh, I rarely get freaked out, um, but <laughs> once you start bushwhacking and you're all alone, it's sort of uh, next level stuff, especially knowing how wild parts of Washington are out there. But yeah, banding together, I think, worked great during this race because I did not have a pacer. I did not have a crew. I was out there, you know, by myself for the vast majority of this, and it forced me 
to meet people. It forced me to be social. It forced me to smile at the aid stations because honestly, I was pretty highly dependent on those volunteers. And so I found myself in like a different mind frame. It was definitely a more positive social mind frame. And the irony is I wanted to go out there solo to experience solo miles and be by myself and be in nature. And the irony is I think I probably had a more social experience than ever. And yeah, the the start of the race for me was it was really solid. I had a moment where I almost turned my ankle and it was a reality check. And I thought to myself, don't let Celia down. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, she was in my head quite a bit throughout the race and, uh, gave me perspective when I was suffering. Um, any, anytime I was suffering, I was, I was thinking of, you know, the suffering that that family's going through and how this was nothing compared to what they're doing. So the volcanic stuff was crazy. Trying to trying to jump over these chunks of volcanic rock that would just if you misstep by any little amount, it would slice your legs really bad. Um I was being hyper aware of my situation. I was I was trying to get it on camera too. Um and it was dangerous. I was really glad to make it through that section. Uh, the first aid station it was actually pretty quick. I think it was within 12 miles. You know the the weather had been very mild and enjoyable. And after that aid station, um, that's when things started warming up, and that's when I was dependent on a specialized water bottle with a filter that I could drink out of streams with, and uh, it was a lifesaver. I mean, without that filter filtration system half my water stops would have been passed by and or i or i could have risked you know uh drinking something in the water and having stomach issues so that next section got really warm and i definitely hit a stretch without water for i was going on several miles and starting to get concerned because i could feel my body getting dehydrated and just pushed forward and didn't see a stream and then came over a ridge. And it was like, I think they even called it the oasis. It felt like an oasis, honestly. And filled up all my water bottles with this just disgustingly dirty water. And I could have been happier. Um, the next stream crossing within probably a quarter mile was much cleaner. So I redumped all those bottles and tried it again. And... That got me through kind of a, a rough section, but I'd been running and had legs the whole time. But this was a slow race. Anytime you have 20,000 feet of gain within the first 100 miles or even more than that, it's a slow go. So I was trying to be patient. Um, there was a much needed kind of out and back aid station because the out and back section was kind of an uplift, seeing friends out there, getting to say hi to them. Uh, it was just great to see, see people smiling and enjoying it out there. 
And so I, I tried to eat as much as I could at that aid station. And yeah, right after that, I mean, I started taking it easy. I was thinking my brain was in 200, 200 mile mode. My brain was in 200 mile mode. So I hiked for probably a half an hour, went down to another creek to fill my water bottles. Was super happy. <laughs> it was nice, clean, cold water. And uh, and I was happy because I forgot to fill one of my water bottles at that turnaround aid station. So that was a big mistake that could have been a game ender because of how long it is in between the aid stations. It's not in terms of miles, so 18 miles is one thing, but it's the time between aid stations that's the hardest part of this race because your legs aren't going to be running your typical three-ish hour, 18-mile pace. It's, it's going to take a long time. So any mistake is amplified, as I learned in Moab 240. And so I got away with it. I dodged that bullet, and I left my poles right at the river. <laughs> And I don't know how I got so lucky to realize that, but I was maybe a half mile down the trail, maybe three-fourths of a mile, stopped, realized, oh, crap, I forgot my poles at that river. And so I turned around and booked it up the, up the climb. I didn't want someone, because this section was where other racers were going the other direction, I was concerned one of those racers would have picked up my poles and taken them back to the other aid station. It could have been a disaster because um, poles during a 200 are essential. So I got really lucky. I was out there and I think it was another runner and no, two runners. They just brought the poles up from this little section. So uh, probably 0.05. They, they grabbed them and gave them to me and I was so thankful. But at that moment, it was a pediatrician that gave me my polls back. And he said, Rob, I, I heard your last podcast. I heard what you're trying to do, raising money for histiocytosis. It's such a disgusting, horrible disease. And I've seen it in person and it's horrible. And I'm just really proud of what you're doing for that cause. And so it's exactly what I needed to hear at that moment. And of all people, a, a pediatrician, you know, dealing with children every day, it was, it was perfect. Um, it meant a lot. And I had quite a few people that were saying hi and excited about the, you know, the fundraising project, but Having a pediatrician of all people, it was it was perfect. And so I started hiking again, got my feet moving, and just took in the scenery. It was some of the most beautiful trail I've ever seen. And it was right around that time on a climb that, of all people, uh, Julie caught up to me. And so we teamed up for that section and just chatted, got each other through it, and got into the next aid station and it was right as we were dropping down um kind of a gnarly little drop down it was right around mile 40 you could see the clouds on the horizon and they were moving in and it was a, a classic mountain storm they don't move in slow 
and it was intimidating. There were a few lightning cracks, and we started moving down. Um, she asked me, should I stop and put on my raincoat? And I was like, no, we need to not be the highest point for a lightning strike right now. We need to get down first, and then we can adjust equipment. And we rolled into that aid station, and all hell broke loose. There were cracks of lightning hitting on all sides. It was dumping rain. Um, and throughout this, I'm trying to get food and trying to be strategic and thinking 200 milers and thinking how many calories, you know, the deficit was already at. And I just, I had to stay focused on that. I didn't have pacers or crew that were going to do anything for me at that aid station. I had no one to strategize with except for myself. And at first, I didn't know what to do. And I think it might have been Julie or me. I can't really remember. We came up with the idea, hey, let's team up. Let's, for safety reasons, let's team up on this next section. It's dumping rain. At the time, there were still lightning bolts all over the place. And we, I think we gave each other maybe like five or ten minutes and we were going to keep moving forward and try to see what could happen. And so we ate a bunch of food, got packed up, got our lights on, got rain gear on, and it it got really cold, but we just, we were the, I think we were some of the first people out of that aid station and people were pulling in there and they were not wanting to leave, understandably. And it was too early to sleep, although if you were tired, it might have made sense to sleep there. And so we paired up and kept each other company and, and kept a good conversation going throughout the rain. And it was dumping on us, and the lightning finally slowed down to the point where I looked around, and we hadn't heard lightning at all, and we were about to go on the biggest climb in the entire race during a lightning storm. And Julie looked over and I was like, maybe we hunker down for a few minutes. I don't really trust that this storm is over right now. Like I know the majority of it is, but it only takes, you know, the back end of the storm to really become a life or death situation. So I was being very strategic in terms of survival. This quickly turned into almost survival. And Julie was convinced that the storm was over. And I said, let's just be patient and keep hiking. And then we heard a giant bolt of lightning hit within a quarter of a mile of us. And that woke me up. And so I joked to Julie that I was I was right, that <laughs> the storm hadn't all already passed but that was the last kind of uh scary moment of that storm and that that last lightning bolt was kind of the final crack out of the hundreds probably that we had witnessed and heard and so we pushed and the trails were muddy and wet and we went over some really techy stuff that was high up on cliffs and we just took our time and it was not worth rushing um you rush that section, 
it might be your last race. And we kept pushing, moved forward, and it was a long night. We heard a, I think it was a coyote in a valley yell, cry. It's kind of scary, actually. We we talked for a few minutes. We're like, what animal was that? Julie hit a rough section right around, actually, that climb. She was about to throw up. We were, we were pushing. We were very, like, it was actually a pretty casual pace. Um, but she was struggling bad. And we went up this big climb. And it was finally morning after this giant, giant storm. And as we climbed, you could see the sunrise. And it was spectacular. And we hit, as we climbed, there's this out and back section that Candace put in that she requires you to do. And both of us looked at each other like, dang it, Candace, like, we don't want to do this out and back right now. We want to just get to the aid station because we're getting desperate. And we, we did this last probably 500 foot climb in the out and back. And it was the most spectacular sunrise I've ever seen in my whole life. And we ran down from that out and back and we were running in the clouds it was unbelievable how cool it was. And I to this, I mean, it's going to be hard to top that mile or two of running. It was like a dream. Uh, seeing, seeing the mountains on the horizon, seeing the low-level clouds, seeing the mist roll through. It was an experience that I will never forget. And it's the exact reason I find myself out doing ultras. It was the epitome of why I do this. That it was an adventure I was exploring and getting to experience something that very few people get to experience. So we, I was thankful to be able to capture some of it, honestly. But we pushed down, and after we got out of the clouds, you keep descending. It was rough. You know, it was hard. And... Finally, I think it was nine hours between the slowdown in the aid station, the stormy, muddy, awful lightning conditions. took us nine hours to do 18 miles. That's a slow go. It was a lot of gain. There were sections that were probably some of the the scarier sections I've ever done in like I said, some of the most amazing uh, running I've ever experienced. So after that aid station, Julie and I kind of did our own thing. Um, I think we ended up meeting up again to to try to push the pace and change up muscle groups. And it was fun working with someone because, again, I was out there all alone. Um, I got to see a lot of familiar faces out on the trails. It was fun to chat with people and um yeah after that section it got tough it got warmer and we were pushing in terms of the hours I was probably over 30 hours into the race with no sleep which was fine I I knew from big horn 100 miler in the mud I can do 36 hours 35 hours no sleep no problem um but yeah, after that next aid station, eh, 
yeah, we hit the woods, and we were both dragging, but at that time, I think I was still running um, with Julie. She was really struggling, and I was I was slowing down a little bit just to help her through a rough patch because she's doing the triple. We both know our paces are actually very similar from Moab T40, so it was fun to team up. She was like, I have to sleep. Like, <laughs> you can go on if you want to. And I decided, what the heck? This is kind of fun. I threw down my emergency blanket and uh, slept directly on the trail. It was kind of fun. There were a few people that passed me. And I, after that little cat nap, I felt really refreshed. And I think that was the point where I realized... um to solve sleep bonking, hitting the wall due to lack of sleep, it just takes a small little nap and you feel like a new person. And so after that cat nap, yeah, we grinded forward. It was a slow go. Um, Julie continued to struggle, probably even worse than prior. And we just kept pushing and pushing to get to the next aid station. And it was right around that point that we were like, okay, do we team up more or is it like just do your own thing now? Because we were approaching the 100-mile mark. And I think it was right around that point that um, we hit a big descent. And it was, it was cool seeing all these familiar faces on the climb. It was a giant climb up, really slow took hours and hours um, that uh, we, we just decided like, hey, if you're feeling good, just go. It's all, it's no problem. And so I, I think I took off because I really wanted to get an hour and a half sleep. And I just, I jetted for four miles, probably too fast, actually. I, I destroyed my quads, but I had learned that you can feel like your legs are totally destroyed and after an hour and a half sleep, they're going to feel new. So I had that in my head, kind of my my secret knowledge there that I could destroy myself a little bit, save, if I saved a half an hour, um, if I got a half an hour of sleep, I was going to mo- feel more than better. So got into that aid station, again, ate a ton of food, took an hour and a half nap, got up and felt awesome. And so... Left that aid station as the sun was setting, and it was getting dark. And it was pretty sketchy woods. It was hard to see what was going on. And I just pushed. And I I just assumed, uh, you know, it was, it was time to focus on my race. No more teaming up. We'll just continue. You know, we'll, we'll get through this. I turned on some music. I was crushing. I picked up my pace. I was feeling really good. And out of nowhere, I come up on Julie limping really bad. And so she said that, you know, she, her, her uh, ankle was cramping up and it was not looking good for her at that point. I thought, I thought it was game over for her, uh, which really concerned me because, I mean, she's my book editor. We become friends. We're hanging out. Campfire pre-race, like I got to know her crew. I was pulling I, in these type of races. It's 
you're pulling for everyone. It's everyone versus this 206 mile, just horribly difficult course. And yeah, I, I hiked with her. And again, I used, I used pairing up as an opportunity to kind of relax. Um, mentally it helps just having, um, someone to talk to, not being out there alone the entire time. But she again was like, I need to sleep because she pushed through that aid station probably with less than an hour of sleep when I had done an hour and a half. So she was not only physically kind of deteriorating there, but mentally sleep related, just destroyed. So we again stopped, slept directly on the trail. Um, I, I didn't necessarily need to sleep there, but I again was just using it as an opportunity in thinking long-term, thinking about the fact that this is 650 miles. This isn't just Bigfoot 200. This is Tahoe following in 30 days. This is Moab, which is going to turn into a 401k. And so she got up and again, wasn't in a good spot. She, she'd been struggling for probably 25 miles. And yeah, again, physically, mentally, emotionally destroyed. And it's hard seeing, you know, this friend struggling on all levels. And so we napped, trekked down the trail, which honestly is kind of cool. And I, I'll never forget the mist coming down through the, the giant trees. It was a really, she was struggling. I was, I was back probably 20 yards, like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I feel horrible for her condition right now. But I was just um, amazed that I get to do this. And I think I had perspective throughout most of this race. And that was definitely a point where, you know, I was in a good spot. And unfortunately, the person I was running with was not in a good spot. And so we, she ended up just saying, I'm holding you back. Just keep going. And so we hit the point where I just, I kind of took off, um, down this steep embankment area, going through ferns, it through the mist, pitch dark at night. It was really cool. It was really cool. And, um, kept pushing to get to this next aid station. It felt like it would never come. And the course markers were definitely scarce through this, uh, this one section, but I could just feel sort of like how Candace had set this course up. Like I knew where to go. It was a weird feeling, not even checking my phone if I was on course or not. And I hadn't seen a marker for probably 20 minutes, but I knew, like I knew how she set this up. Like it just felt right. And so I eventually found myself at the next aid station, got some food, got some really great help from people and took a took a long nap and it was weird waking up looking over seeing Katra and some other pretty well-respected runners within our uh fringe community and uh yeah I felt good it was it was weird because when I got out of the tent I then saw Julie who was like like how long have you been here for like she seemed to be in a little bit better space I think she might have got some sleep but um, you could tell she was struggling, but she was picking up a pacer. Her crew was there, so I was hoping for the best for her. 
and I wasn't gonna, I wasn't messing around anymore. So I think for the first half of the race, I was enjoying things, not necessarily taking it super easy, but pretty easy. And then when I hit that point, I decided, okay, it's time to put your game face on. This is 500 in or 5,600 feet of gain over this stretch. It's 18 miles. It's not going to be easy. You need to focus. And so I hit it hard, hitting the climbs, came up upon Brad, who is just an incredibly nice dude from Chicago, and we really enjoyed some miles together. Um, we both had someone to complain to because this was probably the hardest climb I think I've ever done my whole life. One of them. Top five for sure. This climb just kept going and going. Steeper, steeper, just stupid steep. And we just kept pushing, chatting. His story was inspirational. He lost 50 pounds. We talked about struggles, commonalities. It was great. It was really cool to, to meet someone new and really resonate with them. And so we finally made it to that next aid station. And I felt like that was a big burden off my shoulders. When I finally got to that next aid station, got there and they're like, oh, it's only 13 miles. It's pretty flat to the next one. So I was trying to get food in there. I think I had some grilled cheese that were really good. And I decided we're going to push. We're going to keep going. And so I kicked it up a notch, hit a road section and was running, I think, 10 minute flats basically throughout and um sort of crushed that section it went for a 13 mile section that went by fairly quickly which again you don't want to overdo it and hit a wall but yeah that next aid station is where i was questioning what to do i didn't know if i should sleep there or roll the dice and as I sat there eating, eating a cheeseburger, which by default is the highest calories out there. Now I really, really carefully considered my options and it was raining, muggy, cold. And I thought maybe if I sleep, I'll not only feel energized for this next stretch, which is a long night with multiple river crossings through some wild sections that maybe the rain would stop and I could warm up and feel fresh. So that's what I went for. Um, it was fascinating before the race started, I was uh, doing some analytics and it was estimated that this race would burn 39,000 calories. And to put that in perspective, it's probably around 80 cheeseburgers from McDonald's or Wendy's, 80 cheeseburgers to just offset the calories burnt. So my whole strategy on nutrition for this race was first 100, we're going to treat it like a typical 100, but we're going to throw in calories and fructose. So I was hitting grapes. I was hitting a gel every 45 minutes, perpetuum, and yeah, 
it wasn't it wasn't too long until I was hitting as high of calories as physically possible. And a lot of times it was before any kind of naps so that I had time to digest. It's not it's not normally a healthy behavior, but during these races, it's a necessity because there's just no way you can consume 39,000 calories. Like it's just, you physically can't digest it. And so at every opportunity I had, I would, um, I would go high calorie because I was definitely in fat burning mode for sure. And I was throwing in sugar too towards the end. But so I decided to sleep. I get up and I'm feeling good. I thought it was the right choice. I was happy with it. It definitely gave me a good kick into this long night by myself. And as I was going through waist to shoulder high brush, I mean, it was intimidating. You're in wild, wild sections of Washington state. There are all kinds of animals. There's all kinds of things that can happen to you out there. And again, I waited at a road and I was fortunate that these three kind of bubbly personalities showed up and really helped me through. And so teaming up with um, people again really helped me a lot. I, um, I was fortunate. Cammy, James, and Mike were just really, really helpful. You know, we powered through this section, running a lot of it, having great conversations, but being efficient. And we hit this giant climb. So we get through all the river crossings. Our feet are kind of feeling sketchy. And we have this big climb. And I hit some pretty serious hallucinations. So I had, I had hallucinated a few times during the race. That second night, um, right before I hit um, teaming up with Julie, I was hallucinating Halloween stuff. Everything I saw turned into like your stereotypical like lawn Halloween um, like skeletons and tombstones and stuff. Really weird that Halloween was the theme. But the woods were spooky. Um, it sort of had like that Harry Potter vibe like the giant spiders were going to come running after me. Um, but on this big climb, I was seeing weird stuff. I was seeing advertisements. uh like signs and let me think yeah like like door hanger advertisement signs but they're on trees and then I saw big advertisements um all over the place it was really strange and then I don't think I saw a taco stand on the side of this cliff but um I either joked it or I might have seen it but the three other people I was with were a little concerned because we're doing this big climb there are drop-offs on all sides that go down probably a thousand feet and so they were some of the nicest people I've ever run with they knew I was in a rough spot they as a group would go up hike and wait for me and they got me through I probably slowed them their races down a half an hour and yeah they were incredible people to wait for me knowing that I was in a rough spot and eventually we got to the next aid station we did the climb it was uh 
we hit this out and back that was just straight up vertical and you just go all the way up and it was nighttime during the daytime it would be absolutely stunning and yeah one of the guys mike was like you know it's probably half a mile to this next aid station i was like mike i'm just gonna push because i i'm falling apart here and so i pushed mike has um self-admitted that he is not good at estimating distances because it was more like two miles it felt like forever um but i was pushing to get down off this mountain to get to this aid station i knew i need calories i knew my mind needed sleep and this was a long 18 mile section really long and there's no sleep tent there so in the following sections 19 miles so i was in a rough spot our whole team was struggling. We basically had formed a team at that point. And we all went into this aid station, got food, and fell asleep for, I think, probably an hour or so. It's hard to tell, but apparently I was snoring. <laughs> and uh, we didn't have a strategy. We just all did the same thing. It was kind of weird. And then we picked each other up and all took off. And really got each other through a rough stretch. I think it's the epitome of ultra running. We're all in this together. We're all trying to help each other. You know, those guys might have hit lows at certain times, but out of sheer safety and and just being there for one another, it was really cool experience. And so uh, Cammie and Mike slowed down a little bit. James and I pushed a little harder. And then... James said something to me. He's like, oh man, like we're, we're only maybe 35 miles. Like you could actually, you probably go sub 80 hours during this race if, if you really pushed. And that was the moment where my race started. That's when I started actually running. So I had 36 miles to go, which in my head is very, very reasonable. Our whole team had the goal of finishing on a Monday. And I told them a few times, I'm like, I have a flight out on Tuesday. If we don't finish by Monday, I, I might not get home. Um, and so with 36 miles to go, I started hitting flow. And I had no headphones, no real music. I think my cell phone died part, part, way, uh, part way through. I'm trying to remember. Maybe for that section until I charged it again, it was dead, but I hit this meditative flow and I was running carefree, which was super weird. You know, I'd run 170 miles and I'm just bombing down these, uh, descents, passing people left and right and questioning myself because this, this, uh, section was supposed to end pretty soon. Like, we'd been out there a long time. It just kept going. Getting down to that, that aid station, I was seriously questioning whether I went off trail or, or what was going on. And I came across Hillary, one of the, the camera uh, photographers out there. And she's like, Rob, you're doing great. Like, you're actually in the top 35 right now. Like, you're doing awesome. You're like 10 minutes away from the aid station. Just keep going. And that was the biggest pick-me-up I think I've ever had. 
So to really be broken down, I was, I was getting that point where I pushed hard because I knew the aid station was close. And then to really question, like I put myself out there. If that aid station wasn't there, I actually was really concerned about my own safety because I had expended so many calories to get there. And so when I saw Hillary, I was like, you're seeing me right now, fully broken. And, uh, yeah, I was fortunate. So I was, I was down to that aid station probably within six minutes. It was a great aid station. The volunteers were all itching to help people because, um, not many people had made it through yet. And you had, you know, a team of six people it was basically one volunteer per uh, runner there. And I felt great. I changed clothes, got a fresh hat on, fresh shirt, fresh pants. Everything was, was brand new. And uh, it was a quick turnaround. I ate a burger and some food and got a giant bag of gummy bears and thought back to Moab Sugar Rush. It was time to get this done. And so climbing out of there... It was hard to comprehend. I was in the top 30 now. I, I knew how many people were in that aid station. And I felt a little competitive all of a sudden. I started hiking out pretty aggressively and pushing and, and trying to be conservative, not, you know, because you have so many uh, miles on your legs, like, you know, injury risk is off the charts. And so I pushed, you know, I wasn't bombing anymore. Um, but I was pushing my pace a little bit harder. And I knew I had maybe one more big climb and then a lot of flat stuff. And so I pushed that last climb up. It was an out and back section. Ironically enough, I saw Hillary again at the top of that mountain. She was uplifting as always. Um, really great photographer and going down that section because it was an out and back. I didn't see a single person. I knew it was a quarter of a mile. So I knew I'd locked in a top 30 if I could just hold it together and descending down that trail got so rough and gnarly and it was hard to pick up pace there. It was more like, don't screw up. Don't roll your ankle. And I hopped up on these three giant logs because these trails are covered with logs and you're constantly climbing up and over these things. And I remember thinking to myself, this log is going to be really wet. So be careful. Hop up, slam down on my back. Just literally my back, the tree just takes the full blunt blow of, of uh, the fall right on my lower back. And so for a split second, I, I mean, I was just totally shocked because um, things had been going well and I was moving over these logs and I just full-blown almost hurt myself there. I got very fortunate that there's nothing sharp in my pack and my pack took the blunt hit with the tree. So getting over that, I kept eating. Um, I had eaten all the gummy bears. I had moved into some other stuff and all of a sudden figured out quickly that I had no water 
and I was oversalted and hit this kind of bonk state of too much sodium. I knew exactly what happened. I just need a bottle of water. Yet I was still miles from the aid station with no streams or anything to uh, utilize. And so this was an interesting thing going on. You know, I'm trying to be semi like um, pushing the pace because I think a top 30 for me, middle of the pack would be a solid result bonking all of a sudden desperate for water with no source. And what I ended up deciding to do was push my pace harder and suffer. There is two miles of just full-blown suffering. And as I suffered and sweated, I was sweating out all my salt and it corrected itself. So I hit the super flat section. It's like tunnel of trees it was super flat all the all the climbing for the day had been over had been done i pushed and i broke through this suffering wall like i i knew the problem and the irony was just suffer harder and then your suffering will stop and so i broke through and my electrolyte balance got back in and i just started uh just really getting excited. I could smell the finish line. And so I, I started a pretty aggressive pace down into that last aid station. Again, for middle of the pack guy to be doing 10, 11 minute pace after 185 miles was, was great. Like my legs weren't in pain at all. I was in a good spot, hit the last aid station and, uh, it was a quick turnaround Got to joke around a lot with the volunteers. It was a unique experience being the only person at an aid station. And they said I was in like 27th place. And so the thought of top 25 entered my head. I mean, I know what the last miles of ultras are like. And it wouldn't be uncommon to see five or six people. So I got all fueled up, ready to go. And I hammered. I had 13 miles to go. And I turned on some music and hit it hard. It was all road, kind of downhill to flat. And I hammered as hard as I could for that moment. Um, I saw one person on the horizon. And that was the only thing I could focus on was just passing that person, getting to the finish line. It's odd because I'm, I'm not a competitive runner, but... At that point, I don't know if it was the sleep deprivation, but I, I turned into a different runner. And I remember passing that person like they were standing still and picking up the pace for the next mile after and just thinking like, wow, I'm, I'm running and this is mile 200. And so I, I continued to run throughout the entire last part of that. And I think... Yeah, it was special. I think it was on average below a 12-minute pace, which from day one I've always been, I want to run a 12-minute pace forever. And it's kind of cool hitting mile 200 and being comfortable at a 12-minute and under pace. So whatever was taking place is magical. Got to the track, 
and yeah, it was special. It was, it was, uh, it was a really cool experience, kind of surreal doing a lap on a track after this three and a half day and epic adventure. And so it was really exciting. Um, and I think I ended up taking 27th place. It was like something like 82 and a half hours. And the best part of this was looking over the belt buckle table and realizing, oh my gosh, there are so many options. Because <laughs> at Moab, it wasn't as good of a race, but there there weren't as many belt buckles available at that point. So um, it was special. I looked over the belt buckles and I found one that had five big trees on it. And I like the meaning behind each of these belt buckles, personal meaning for me and what happened in my race. And the most special moment that I had was laying down on this emergency blanket on the trail and having this mist coming down on me within these giant, giant trees in this forest. And I mean, the sunrise was special. And that was probably my favorite running of all time. And seeing those trees and having that experience. But what stuck out, you know, sticks out to me is um, just those giant, beautiful trees of Bigfoot 200. And so I picked out a belt buckle that, um, you know, represents some of what my experience was. But I wouldn't, wouldn't have changed anything. And I am shocked at how well my recovery is going. It's surreal, actually. I've, I went on a run Friday after work and ran the whole thing like sub nine minute pace, which again, I'm middle of the pack average guy. I don't know why my recovery is going so well. Part of me is thinking I took it too easy during Bigfoot, but part of me is like, maybe you took it perfectly because now Tahoe is coming up really short turnaround here. And yeah, I think the, um, the best part of my race was receiving a congratulations from Celia, getting getting that text message and video saying, you know, good job, Mr. Steger. And I had perspective throughout this whole race. And this was a good race. I don't want to take it for granted. And my game plan for Tahoe 200 is going to be almost exactly the same. I think sub 80 for... Tahoe 200 is my goal, and I'm going to most importantly remember my why, why I'm out here, what's important, have perspective, and just be thankful and enjoy the experience and have those fun conversations, have those once-in-a-lifetime experiences. That's what this is all about. This isn't about taking 27th place as opposed to 25th or whatever. I, It's fun. It's nice. It's showing some progress in my running. It's not why I'm out here. And so I'm excited to see what happens at Tahoe.
And that was episode 102. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let me know. Send me an email. Give me feedback. Um, happy to hear what you guys are thinking. Email trainingforultra at gmail.com. I'd be happy to read all those emails. And I'm getting excited for Tahoe 200. I'm excited that my body's responding to my training. I still can't fully explain it. We'll have my coach on here in a few weeks, and that'll be exciting. Um, you know, just the fact that I am taking things a little bit more serious, getting an actual coach um, into the 2020 season at this point. You know, there's not much coaching that can be done other than tips on recovery and that sort of thing. So, big thank you to you guys. Thank you to the Patreon supporters. I love those conversations we have. Um, just excited for this upcoming race. And this is this is my A goal. So one of three is done. I have Tahoe and then I have Moab. And Moab is going to be extra special. I'd like to announce actually right now um, part of my crew for Moab. And hopefully I can do this once every week or two. But... Kyle Patari, who took a top 10 at Western States, has signed on um, to help crew my Moab team. And I'm talking to a few other quicker guys that I'd like to just involve in that Moab experience. You know, they like those trails. They want to support the cause. And we'll have Kyle on the podcast also. So big shout out to him. And hopefully we have a few more upcoming um, faster runners that join that team and I'm excited. So thank you guys. Don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week.